they think the game is making more money. Guys, we've got six years until the damage that we've done to the planet is irreversible. The technology is not even working for the people it's meant to anyway. So hang on, something is inherently broken here and we've got to fix it fast. Before we begin today's episode, I have a question for you. What would happen if we started marketing to hearts, not brains? Award-winning marketeer, author and mentor Fab Giovanetti has the answer. Join her over on Alt Marketing School, a podcast sharing weekly lessons, tactics, hacks and tips to make marketing more human. Keep up to date with the latest trends and hear from the brightest marketing minds and experts, including Jay Klaus, Catalin Borgoyne and Alex Lowell. Listen to Alt Marketing School on any of the popular podcast platforms. You won't regret it. Welcome back to 40 Minute Mentor, the podcast on a mission to raise aspirations and inspire the next generation of category-defining founders. From purpose-led entrepreneurs to Olympic champions, you'll learn firsthand from today's successful leaders on what it takes to be brilliant, all in just 40 minutes. Today, I'm joined by Sue Fennessy, a serial tech entrepreneur currently serving as the founder and CEO of We Are Eight, a data platform that enables brands to directly sponsor hundreds of millions of people and reward them for their time and advocacy. Prior to We Are Eight, Sue was the founder and CEO of the world's leading media data company, Standard Media Index. At only 21 years of age, she created the largest sponsorship business in Asia Pacific, negotiated eight of the Sydney 2000s Olympic sponsorships and built the first digital platforms to support the viewing experiences with the major television networks. I've admired Sue and the work we are ready to doing from afar. So I was so humbled and delighted that she agreed to come on 40 Minute Mentor to share her story with us all. So Sue, thank you so much for joining us. How are things? Thank you, Jane. Thank you for that beautiful intro. And it's really Fabulous to be here speaking with you today. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. We already had a little chat before we kicked off, but I am really keen for this conversation. I'm very excited and I know our listeners are going to love it, but we feel we should warm you up a little bit with some quick fire questions first. So if you don't mind, please, can you finish these sentences after me? Number one, I grew up wanting to be... <laughs> a pilot, a doctor in Africa, a chef because I love feeding people. Embarrassingly, I also I was always fascinated by media and I was I, I was there actually when black and white TV became color and being an Aussie, I actually really admired at the time, forgive me for this Rupert Murdoch. So I did feel a calling of media and like all Gen Zs now who feel who want to be 10 different things and will be 10 different things I wanted to be all of those things. I love that. So you were like an early multi-hyphenate. You had all the ambitions. And that's a very diverse crop, by the way. Like, yeah, pilot, media, <laughs> chef. Doctor. Doctor, yeah. All very worthy causes. But I'm I'm glad to see that you kind of followed the route you did because you've had a very successful career, which we'll come on to talk about. But second question, a misconception people have about me is? This what you really stretched my brain, by the way, James, because... I saw very early the damage of social. I mean, social is good because it brings people together, but it's also got a dark side. And deep down, I'm really private. And I would almost say shy at times, even though I'm obsessively driven to solve big problems. So I think I don't ever 
feel really understood. So it's not actually isolating one misconception. It's almost, I don't even think I've started to tell my truth. Wow. Okay. What an answer. And I don't even really have social profiles, although I am coming out with my real story on eight. Okay. Okay. Wow. I'm very excited to, to hear it. And I think maybe today we can start to unpack some of this and for the world to hear a bit more about who you really are. That's really interesting. I mean, we've only known each other for a little bit, but from the, the conversation we've had, you would never think that you're private or even shy. And that just goes to say this, especially with entrepreneurs, there's so many layers to an entrepreneur. And of course, you have to be, especially when you're so passionate about something and disrupting something, you've kind of got to be out there and you've got to do it. But, but that, yeah, sometimes I'm speaking to more and more founders that would actually describe themselves as introverted, which often the case, you wouldn't think it from the outside. So that's maybe something we'll unpack further. Thank you very much. Which is interesting, right? When you think we're about, you know, we've built the world's first social ecosystem, deeply private, but highly empathetic. And I think you can only build that when you connect deeply. Anyway, it's a whole other conversation. Sorry, I won't interrupt your quick fire No, questions. no, no, don't worry. <laughs> They're a quick fire, but sometimes they can go deep early. So this is, this is good. Right. Number three, the last time I cried was when? Okay. So I, talking about high empathy, I feel people's energy and I'm a big crier of joy. When things make me overwhelmingly happy, I'm a big tears of joy person. I've got three boys. When happy things happen, when happy things happen at work, when I watch a beautiful movie, whatever, I cry a lot with just overwhelming joy. On the flip side of that, someone recently told me that I was enough and that actually made me cry. That's beautiful. Sometimes you just need to hear that though, don't you? Because so much of life, we're forever trying to aspiring to be more and, you know, comparing ourselves to others. And sometimes that is just what we need to hear. So yeah, I, mean, I, hope, I hope somebody else will say that. To, somebody else is listening to this today that might need to, to hear it. Thank you. And if there was one thing that you could change about entrepreneurship, what would it be? Look, I think you go on the journey anyway. And it's a different journey. Every founder that I speak to is on their own journey. It is stepping into it, knowing that it is going to be rugged. If you're a woman, it is that much tougher. And if there's one thing I could change, it's about the way the rest of the world sees it because some of the best businesses I know, Bayer Fertility, others are are female-founded and we need to change what is around entrepreneurship so that it gets the funding. You know, the VC world has become so predictable. They follow existing patterns and they are not envisioning the future. And I think it's very hard for a lot of people to break through, a lot of really good people. So I think it's from an entrepreneur's perspective, it's asking the questions, not just is that a good idea? That's so boring. Actually, it's not about an idea. It's about a business. Even when it's good for the planet and people, it needs to have a business, needs to have a business at the core of it and then everything around those entrepreneurs fueling and helping them bring it to life yeah definitely no i really i completely agree and i think one of the things we've always 
committed to with this podcast is to try and do our utmost to shine a light on those maybe underrepresented female founders, just people that don't always get the spotlight when you just know there's so many incredible businesses out there that don't get the opportunities to serve. So I think it's something we we really believe in. And I think we all have our part to play in paying it forward on that point. Right, diverse leadership. The stats are still really shocking. It really is. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's unbelievable to me that the stats in 2023, the stats are as they are. But yes. Yeah, yeah. And I really hope we're not, I mean, my, my daughter's seven and I, I really hope when she's leaving school and starting her career that we'll be having a different conversation on this, but it really needs so much more work. And, uh, you know, I guess that's a challenge. It's a gauntlet laid down to us all to kind of do our bit to help change the system. James, that's exactly why. That is personally for me. I have two big drivers that and look make no mistake we want to build the biggest digital media company in the world but it's the injustice of what is happening to people with the big tech companies controlling what we see how we feel controlling us selling us we are the largest unpaid workforce in human history it's the injustice of that and it's that we're not being valued so it's and it's setting up so it's the injustice piece and then the only way that the world will see women and diversity differently is when we create something that is so fucking big and so transformational that people will never underestimate women again and so women or diverse leaders again. And we live in a world, technology, controlled by, and I have three white <laughs> children, male children who I adore, clearly, but we have to change the status quo so that everyone can be who they want to be and I will and people will never underestimate people again. And the only way we're going to do that is build something really fucking big and transformational. So on one hand, it's the injustice that's drive me and on the other hand, it's your daughter. By the way, to solve the world's biggest problems, I can't see those guys solving them. They think the game is making more money. Guys, we've got six years until the damage that we've done to the planet is irreversible. The technology is not even working for the people it's meant to anyway. So hang on, something is inherently broken here and we've got to fix it fast. So so true. Love this. Yes. And I, we'll come back to this because I really want to talk more about what you're doing right now. So we'll come back to it. But yeah, I think there's um, a lot of food for thought there. Last quick fire question. My biggest failure to date is... Oh, God, I, <laughs> so when I saw this question, I actually did go through and write a whole list and I thought this list is ridiculously long because there are a lot, let me tell you. But I think the failure to date is not yet being perceived alongside the big tech as big tech despite all this whole ecosystem that we've built. And that it's, it's the same as the question before. That's what we're going to flip. That's what we're going to change. We're going to shine a big, bright light on what is broken. And I think people inherently know anyway now. But my biggest failure is that I'm not where I want to be personally. Like people can say, oh, you've had a great career or whatever. It's getting to the point that I see in the next two years, because it's not even about me. I, I see the work that we're doing is so important 
because I look at what I'm doing as in service, right? So if I fail, I feel like I'm failing people because I can't see anyone else that's working on this, this big stuff. It's a lot of pressure, but it's it's a great challenge. Yeah, yeah. Do you know the funny thing? Someone recently told me, they said, you know, that's really good, Sue, because I see how obsessed and dedicated you are to fixing the system and building an ecosystem that serves people and creators and the planet and all stakeholders. But actually, I need to help you and look after yourself. So I'm going to call your work a hobby. And do you know, as soon as he said that, it shifted because it's all about perspective, right? That's what they say. You could look this way and say, that is so overwhelming. I can't cope with it. You can be in the same spot and turn the other way and go, oh my God, this is the best thing on the ever that's happening to me. And I'm personally so ready for this. And as soon as he said that to me, ah, just all washed up. I know that I'm living my purpose anyway. I know I'm working 14 hours a day. That doesn't stop. I'm more focused, but I don't feel the burden of it. And as soon as you don't feel the burden of it, everything just flows then. Wow. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is the the perfect situation really. If, If you don't feel that burden and you're so driven and you really believe in it and you're seeing the traction, that's a big part of it, I guess. Is I can see how invigorating that would be and how you just bounce out of bed in the morning, just like... Let's take them on. Let's keep going. Let's keep growing this. So I can't wait to right because it's each step. It's almost those small steps ahead. By the way, I still tell myself when I do that sun salute in the morning, I've got to show up today and not fuck it up. You know, I still dedicate myself in the most committed, prepared way as I possibly can. But you know, I'm going to fail every day along the way although I think as soon as you kind of let it go you fail less anyway and you feel just more in flow with with everything that you've got to do and I think it takes the pressure off your team because when you have a I mean I've got a team now nearly 100 people and everyone is working really really hard and it's important they can have perspective on their work so they can show up in the best possible way as well so awesome well thank you so much sue i feel like we really or like more so than anybody else i would say those quick five questions have given us a great insight into you and i can't wait to learn more <laughs> sorry uh, they're long-winded no, no, I they love should it. have been not quick fire long-winded sue do you know what it's, it's amazing how some of the most poignant and powerful things come out of the quick fire questions so i'm sure the rest of this conversation is going to be even deeper and even more wonderful but that was a fantastic start so thank you but I do want to take you back in time. You started your first business at 21, which is, is quite remarkable. Um, where did that drive to be a founder? Where did that entrepreneurial spirit come from? And, and how did you learn the skills and resilience to kind of handle that at such a young age? Do you know the funny thing? I actually asked my parents, I feel very grateful. Both my parents are still alive and are really wonderful human beings. But I asked them that recently because, God, I just, at 21, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing at all. And I did start in my bedroom. I worked in radio. I moved back home. I broke my legs, started this business. And I think it's just seeing things that are broken. I think you don't choose to be an entrepreneur. 
entrepreneurship chooses you. I think that's true of any sort of creative venture, you know, musicians, artists, actors, creators of any kind, it chooses you. So once you know it's chosen you, you don't even know it's chosen you, it just flows through you and then you see broken shit and you've in your brain you've worked out how to fix it. And half the time, I mean, even when I built Standard Media Index, when I look at that, I didn't know how to build data infrastructure inside the world's largest media agencies and da-da-da, but you actually, you work it out because you know what they're doing now is fundamentally broken. And so when I see broken stuff, I just have this overwhelming urge and I think it's the game of chess. Like it's, I like reimagining stuff. I like fixing stuff. I like imagining how it could be. And I like doing that with things on a really big scale. And because the way when you start joining all the dots, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And by the way, a lot of people can't handle that. I've been told 50 million times. Sue, that is not relevant. But what I'm, I realize as I get older, what I'm not doing is telling the story on how I joined the dots to get there and why that is extremely relevant. And one of our amazing investors, uh, Channel 4, Vanessa Lanky from Channel 4 was in this morning and he said, Sue, you haven't just built a social network. You've built the world's first social ecosystem. And in the new ecosystem, every stakeholder thrives, whether it's a person who's getting valued and paid every time they watch an ad and now they're changing the world, whether they're having a beautiful social experience that is free from hate and wonderful, whether it's a creator that can now create in a purely free way, whether it's an advertiser through the buying engine that's now getting better results than any other platform and can engage and connect with their people in a much more meaningful way, whether it's a charity because they're the recipient. And what we worked out is the way we live now, James, we're living in a broken, all our technology globally. I mean, look, we have 2 billion people on our planet living on Facebook. And we're launching a new incarnation of groups on eight, which is very, very exciting. But no one can thrive when the economic model that links that, well, first it was started with the intention for guys in a dorm to get dates. And then it's become the biggest manifestation ever of judgment and connection and everything, good and bad, right? But the ad model is so broken because when you make $120 billion, which they did last year, out of the people without any idea that you exist to serve the people, you're stripping everyone of value and taking all the money so no one else can exist here in a really healthy, sustainable way. So I like, back to the 21 question, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I, did, I had no idea what I was doing, James. But I learned along the way and I was grateful that I had some amazing clients and partners and team who really believed in doing things differently. And I remember we won eight of the big Olympic deals for the Sydney 2000 Olympics. And I remember going up to pitch to big brands and against these huge companies out of the US that had just 
come off the back of Atlanta and they're saying, this is what we did in Atlanta and this is what we're going to do for you. And I actually went in and I said, well, actually, I've never been to an Olympic Games and neither have most Australians. Like 99.9% of Australians have not been to an Olympic Games. But this is how we are going to connect your brand and your business with every Australian on an emotional level, on a connected level, and we won everything. And there's something beautiful about not knowing. Is my learning from that stage, I didn't know a fucking thing. I led from my heart and I've got a pretty good brain, so I tried to join all the pieces together and reimagine everything. But I just spoke the truth and it kind of worked out, although, you know, there's lots of mistakes along the way. And then for me, it's just like playing chess under here. How can we do it differently? How can we win? How the, I mean, look, as a woman, I've always, and I always fight for the underdog. If I see any kind of judgment or abuse, I'm always in there fighting for the underdog. I'd chop off my arms. You know that Monty Python scene? I've still got my head. I've still got my head. I'll be in there fighting for them. And I grew up in a very working class suburb. And so I felt the pain of economic pressure and not on my watch kind of thing. And which is a bit fucked up. That's why it's good. It's a hobby. It's yeah, a 14 yeah. hour a day, yeah. every day <laughs> hobby. <laughs> I really hope you're enjoying today's episode so far. But before we continue hearing from today's mentor, I wanted to take a minute to give a shout out to our series sponsors, Alchemist. Alchemist is an industry-leading learning and development company using immersive and interactive experiences to help increase employee engagement, levels of happiness and achievement across your teams and overall productivity. Alchemist presents L&D departments with an opportunity to innovate and be bold in their approaches to blended learning. If you love the sound of this as much as we do here at JBM, then head over to thisisalchemist.com forward slash 40 minute mentor to learn more. And now back to our 40 minute mentor. You mentioned some of those yeah, failures along the way, some of the, the, the difficulties. C- can you just share when you were at Standard Media Index, you had this, these big ambitions, you won all the, against the odds, you, you won all those incredible projects and it was clearly very very successful but but what were the biggest challenges uh, that you had to overcome in those kind of scaling early days well that first business double m i sold that when i was 27 and so for me it was and that was in all in asia pacific do you know weirdly enough james i didn't feel the pressure i owned that a hundred percent i built it up bootstrapped it and i owned it a hundred percent and when I built, and then I built a company in, in China, then I built Standard Media Index. Off the back of, essentially, media, there's $500 billion that big advertisers spend on media and the industry was traded, basically the money going to all the media companies, TV networks, etc. It was being traded in the dark. And my belief was you can only have an efficient and effective media trading industry if there's a level of transparency. So to build technology is expensive. So the challenge for me with Standard Media Index, I was able to fund the first phase, launch it in Australia, get it to profitability. But going to the US, 
and building this infrastructure inside all the media agencies in the US and then selling it into NBC, Disney, Discovery, all the big media companies who are our clients, that just takes time and money. And so the biggest challenge without question for me has always been how I explain the shit that I see so clearly in my head. And it's always, you know, well, fortunately, big. I see big shit and then spend night and day working out how all the dots are joining. And once I've worked it out, then I have to tell the story. I have to articulate it. I have to build the product. I have to get all the stakeholders aligned, which in the case of SMI, we had to get all the media agencies to agree to give us the rights to the aggregate data and build the infrastructure in their systems, which was big. And people said you'd never do it, actually. But I knew that their systems were so broken, they had to do it because we built something beautiful. But then raising the money for that. And I think it's always hard. It's hard enough when you see something big. Then you have to communicate it, which because I'm an introvert by nature, you know, I've worked really hard on communication. People would think I'll go to a party and, you know, be all high energy and everything. I would rather be at home with a couple of close friends cooking them a meal is the reality. So I had to learn then how to communicate big things and then I had to raise the money. So and, and despite, you would think after building three successful companies over 35 years, then it would be a case and selling them and all of the shit, that it would be really easy for me to raise money. And that's the fascinating thing. I have never had one cent. I had a, I've got a brilliant fund, Centerstone Capital, that invested and Channel 4 invested and BBC Studios UK TV invested in eight recently, but I have never prior to a year ago had one cent of VC funding in 35 years. Wow. That is remarkable. That is incredible. And then because they follow pattern, the first question they say is, why hasn't anyone else backed you? Yeah, yeah. Well, we're not going to fucking back you. So you're fucked from the, sorry, I'm swearing a bit much for a Monday. Sorry, (laughs) forgive me. I will turn it off. But I I never swear at anyone, just by the way. I just swear with excitement. It's a bit like my crying. I only cry with excitement. The reality is, and by the way, we're going to bring this home because they're all going to be eating our dust in a millisecond. And it's already starting to happen with, with what's happening. And we're getting some really incredible people come in. But you know, it's always economics. And when you're in Silicon Valley at a certain time, and I don't look like them, and I don't talk like them, but I'm still going to redirect $120 billion from Facebook back to billions of people and unite in support of the planet. So don't underestimate me. And this is for your daughter, James. And look, it's their ignorance. And I think the thing about everything is realizing that you know nothing. Even at 54, like we know the world's changing, we know nothing. I learn as much from, you know, a a 14-year-old. I mean, the reality is I know how to build a new ecosystem. And I've spent the last seven years working out how to do that. 
all the pieces in it. We've reimagined digital ad delivery so it works better for all the brands. And that's why we have all the best brands on the planet now on board. How it works for creators, which why is why we've got the footballers and Rio Ferdinand and, you know, Brick Smith and all these artists, actors, musicians coming in. And then how it works better for people. And over the next couple of months, we're going to have all, we've nailed the ad model so that people actually want to watch an ad because now they get paid and valued and donations go to charity every time they watch an ad. So they can pay their mobile bill and their Spotify subscription. So it's good for people. I was going to say, we haven't properly introduced the business. So I'm going to give you the chance. So let's do that now before I forget. I'm just enjoying this so much. For anyone that hasn't heard, right, I'm going to give you a chance to give the elevator pitch because I really want to go in a bit deeper and I'm conscious of time. So over to you. So, and I think everyone kind of feels this, James. I mean, look, social networks have done a lot of good. We had MySpace and then it went into Facebook. And the thing we learned that people love about Facebook, it's your address book, birthdays and groups. And then there are good bits of it on Instagram, but everyone's feeling really judged. And there's a dark side to all of this. And those platforms have never been responsible for civic. They've never felt a duty to make people feel safe or valued. That's not why they exist. They see their job as connect. Do you know what, Zuckerberg? You've done a bloody great job of that. You've connected 2 billion people. But now we're going to inspire them. We're going to unite them and we're going to empower them in a new social home where you feel valued, where you get paid every time you watch an ad, where we unite in support of the planet and where we can live in a world with zero tolerance of hate. And you can't be anonymous here. So if you want to be anonymous and dodgy, just stay over there. Yeah. That's fine. In fact, dance on TikTok, tweet on Twitter. Change the world on eight because, yeah. yeah, we really want you to scroll less and live more. And the way we've constructed it, because we've pulled the ad model out, so now you can watch two minutes of ads a day, whenever, wherever you want. Every time you do, you get paid, you can pay it forward to charity, or you can use it to pay a bill like your Spotify or mobile bill. But the social elements. You can follow creators on the eight stage and get inspiration. We've got amazing creators bringing exclusive content. You can see your friends in a private friends feed free of algorithms and ads, no ads, just your friends. And then we're launching a whole new take on groups that is going to blow everyone's mind, not just groups created by the world's best creators, but there's a whole new commercial model where you can come together as a group and make collective change as a group. So we've reimagined the ad model so it serves people. We've reimagined the social elements so that it serves people. And it's sort of it's almost the perfect and we've reimagined it for brands, by the way, because we've built a whole buying engine to make it easy for brands to run their campaigns in a sustainable, transparent, more effective way. Like we're delivering smashing all the metrics versus the other platforms. So it's more just an evolution of what's been. Because I t- when I talk about an ecosystem, it's building something that serves the people that are part of it. And if I look at, 
there was a moment that really hit me because we track all the ad spend through SMI. There was a stat that came out, the Federal Reserve in the US said 40% of all Americans cannot find $400 in an emergency. They think that's 80% post-COVID, by the way. And I looked at that and thought, oh my God, people cannot get food on the table. They can't pay bills. Facebook is also fueling climate misinformation and misinformation, destroying democracies. And yet they're making $400 from each US citizen and UK citizen every year. So all we've got to do is take that money from advertisers because let's face it, the government doesn't have enough money because they're not charging the tech companies enough tax. So that the, the old ecosystems that used to serve us and pay teachers and pay hospital workers is just struggling. The system is cracked. It's broken. So in a new world, we've just got to take the money from corporations who want to be good and bring it back to people on the planet very directly. So in our model, 60% of every dollar, every pound goes through to people in the planet. So 50% into people's pockets, 5% to a creator fund to let creators create purely and not forced to do an ad for, you know, a packet of biscuits. They're now creating around what they love. 1% to climate projects and carbon offset and 4% to charities. So we redistribute the money, basically. That's absolutely amazing. I mean, you've built this incredible community and I love it. I absolutely love it. And I know our listeners are going to be super excited and we change needs to happen. And yeah, to have the foresight and the drive to take on such kind of beasts of business that, uh, you know, I think it's just wonderful. And we need more of it, to be honest with you. Do you know, it's funny you say beasts of business because I look at it now. I mean, it's when you see something that's broken and you work out how to fix it obsessively, it's actually, I don't look at them as beasts of business. I actually feel quite sad for them, truthfully, because they think the game is money in their pockets. That is not sustainable for a start. The ad model doesn't work because getting 0.2% engagement rate on an ad doesn't even work. So you're making 99% of your money on something that's not even working for the advertisers. It's not working for people. And I just kind of feel sad for them that they lack in empathy so much that they don't care. I mean, if I knew our platform fueled teen suicide, which, you know, Francis Haugen and all the stuff that came out, if I knew that technology and I built had done that, I'd be just calling it and saying, time out, everyone. They're on a different game. They really, I don't think you could care about people and unfortunately I care too much as I'm often told sometimes I wish I didn't care because then I wouldn't be awake at three in the morning James <laughs> no but it's what makes you special and I'm involved on the board of a impact accelerator and there's nothing that excites me more than young entrepreneurs coming through that are trying to take on things that have been they've been told there's no point doing because the incumbents are so entrenched whereas actually we, we need the dissenters we need we need everybody, to, we need we need young entrepreneurs that are building businesses, particularly right now, to not just do it for profit, but actually to do it for impact and to make a difference. And actually, I can't think of anything more exciting than trying to make the world a better place. And I think there's so many people... I will give them my that. phone number. Yeah, I will. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, but it's great. But you're somebody to look up to. 
oh god i don't know god help them but <laughs> but you know that there is it has to be sustainable so you have to make transparent profit it has to be healthy i mean our margins are good it's transparent it's very healthy but it's sustainable that's why i know it's the the ecosystem that's going to go on for the next 50 years and i would invest in the people that are going to build things in and around our ecosystem or the next ecosystem because it's a relentless quest for making things better in service to people and the planet and i i mean i, I feel like I, I remember i was saying eight years ago We've got 15 years until the damage that we've done to the planet is irreversible. We've got seven, six now, and it's everyone's just walking around. They're still playing the greed game over there. Like, seriously, are we still playing that game when we have entire generations of people that understand the current game, which is sustainable business that's good for people and the planet, right? That's why we're a B Corp. James. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think this is uh, hopefully a challenge we can put down a gauntlet for our listeners to go out and build those types of sustainable businesses. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm conscious of time. We have 10 minutes left and I want to just get through a couple more, even though I feel like we're going to have to do a round two at some point because there's just so much to discuss. I'll be speedy. I'll be speedy. No, no, no. Don't worry. I love it. I love it. Um, Getting amazing investors on board. We talked about investors, the good and the bad of it, I guess. But you talked about Channel 4. You talked about Rio Ferdinand, you know, a footballing legend, you know, hugely inspirational character for so many people. And they're both on board this journey. So just quickly, I'd love to just know how those relationships came about. And working with someone like Rio, what does that bring to We Are 8? Like, what's the impact that can have? I mean, I think, firstly, I'm really grateful for all the investors we have. I've got some incredible individuals that have backed me over the last 14, 15 years, and I'm hugely grateful to those individuals. Rio is phenomenal. I mean, we were both born in working class suburbs, so we are driven by this same economic injustice. He's got young children. He understands the pressure on the planet. I heard it the other day. He was on a shareholder call, actually, and he said, you know, I've captained England. I've captained Manchester United, I've been a football pundit, all of this. But actually, this work I'm doing now is going to eclipse everything. And, th and that, that nearly made me cry, James, because he's got real, pers I, I think even for him, the best is yet to come with the work he's doing now to, with a real understanding of what people need you know, we're in a mental health crisis, a climate crisis, an economic crisis. His amazing documentary just came out around those things. And so many people that are part of our core. I mean, I look at Brick Smith, who's an incredible, she was lead guitarist for punk band The Fall. As a woman in the rock industry, you have, in the music industry, you have to fight for your place in a very male dominated world. I mean, I look at beautiful Sanjeev Bhaskar, who, you know, is a British Indian comedian. Love. I mean, all of these for everyone, and we have some incredible people at the heart of eight with us, they understand they've been through their own journey. And even all the young people, you have got young chefs, amazing people. So I think all of these people 
are now at a point in their lives and careers where they understand we're in service and we're elevating others. So I look at the work they're all doing around elevating other creators, musicians, comedians, sports people, chefs. So it's actually the collaboration between people like Rio and, you know, the young footballers, how he elevates Rashford and others. I mean, mind you, Rashford's just a rock star at the moment, right? But it is, you know, I just feel really grateful. That came about through BT. So BT, EE, we're pre-installed on all EE devices. We've got a partnership with BT. So that came through a wonderful Kim Fitzsimmon who, whose birthday is the 8th of the 8th actually, by the way. And so I feel fortunate that even though stuff is hard, you know, we've had some amazing people who are part of it with us. So, uh, and then it just keeps flowing and good people bring good people, right? So true. And I'm a big believer in, yeah, just kind of, if you're giving something back to the world and you're kind of paying it forward to others, then it comes back around. And I'm, I'm hugely grateful for that. It's same with the, with, the, with most of the guests on our podcast. It kind of organically evolves from, you know, people telling others, and and it's 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 so powerful. And it's great to see someone like Rio involved in this because I think actually footballers are so, you know, we're a football crazy nation in UK. And um, when you see your heroes getting involved with tech businesses, like that is a powerful statement of intent. And I think it's also, it will inspire a new generation or a different demographic to kind of sit up and listen and, you know, be interested in why he's got involved in this. So um, I think it's really, it's great to see. I will do a follow-up. Yeah, I'd, oh, we'll I'd love to. We'll both do a follow-up with you in Oh, that'd be amazing. 12 months. Oh, that'd be we'll awesome. We'll both do the follow-up. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Sue. Well, we, we're sadly at an end and we, we definitely will do that follow-up. I'd love that. But we've got three final quick wrap-up questions. So in one sentence, what do you think the future holds for eight? A new social home for a billion people on the planet where we come together, where people are getting inspired, empowered and united every day. That would be wonderful. I, I am fully behind that. Fingers firmly crossed. And if you could be mentored by anyone, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oh, this was tough. So I'm in love with a lot of dead people, actually. (laughs) Leonardo da Vinci, I mean, genius, everything he created. Steve Jobs, sorry, I just have to say that because of everything he did. Marie Curie, I, I look at how a woman like that was really pushing the boundaries on science then. It is incredible. James Lovelock actually is an American molecular biologist and he only recently died. He was 98. He wrote a book that blew me away. I was really hoping to meet him actually about AI as the next species being born. And he talked also about how as a scientist we never gained enough creed. Scientists would work in a linear way if we accept the sort of female way of thinking and intuition, we would have discovered so much more because it's not black and white. And what he did and the way he elevated something like an unexplained intuition, but then his whole understanding of AI, as well as science and technology, just I would have loved to have met him. There are so many people. I've just realised that everyone on my list is sadly not here anymore. I have fallen in love with a few 90-year-olds, including David Attenborough, who I hope I get. Through this BBC partnership, I'm really hoping 
that David Attenborough gets to see the ecosystem that we've built for a billion people to take tiny actions in support of our planet every day because that is what's going to save our planet or save our species, actually, while we live on our planet. Yeah, so true. No, thank you, Sue. Um, Final question. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever received that you'd like to pay forward to our listeners? Oh, so I was talking to my amazing COO, Hayley Deitch, this morning about this question because I've received a lot of advice, as you can imagine. I haven't always taken it, by the way, (laughs) but it's realizing you kind of know nothing. And she said, treat everyone the way you would like to be treated because that creates a better kind of world. And people remember how you make them feel. And it was a beautiful piece of advice that I had from her. I mean, she's 34 and I had it from her this morning and it really anchored me in reminding me how I need to show up every day. So I had that advice this morning, James, and it was beautiful. Oh, what a great place to end this. Um, Sue, it's been such a joy. I love what you're building. I'm completely, and I know all of our listeners will as well, be rooting for you and anything we can do to support we'd, we'd love to because I think it's uh, bold, brilliant and I'm sure going to be even more successful so um, thank you for sharing your story, thank you for being a 40 Minute Mentor and inspiring I'm sure many many others so uh, yeah wishing you all the very best for 2023 and thank you so much for making my Monday I've got a bit of man flu, this Monday has just started in the perfect way by having this conversation so uh, I'm hugely grateful for that from a personal perspective too <laughs> Oh, James, thank you for being so generous. I've loved chatting with you. Oh, thank you. Well, I look forward to doing it again soon. Thank you. Wow, what a conversation. Sue brought so much energy to our chat and I really loved learning about her incredible journey as a founder, an absolute trailblazer in her industry and the mission of We Are Eight, which is one I really get on board with. I can't encourage you enough to check out the work that she's doing and become part of their mission today. We've left some links in the show notes for you to find out more. And I really hope at some point in the future, we'll get Sue back on and potentially with Rio Ferdinand. So if that sounds interesting and you're keen to hear more of our amazing shows, please don't forget to hit subscribe and you'll be the first to hear about them. That's everything from us today, but I really hope I'll see you again next week where we're joined by another incredible 40-minute mentor. See you then.